All right. Welcome to the 400 level at Rogers Center, a rather smoky Rogers Center uh, today, uh, where I, Ben Nicholson-Smith, am joined by Shai Davidi. Shai, how's it going? All right, Ben. And it is a very smoky downtown and a very odd-looking Rogers Center. Even with the roof closed, I think there was some smoke that got trapped from last night. And this is a very strange vantage point on it right now. It is. The the roof, I think, will probably stay closed tonight for the game between the Blue Jays and the San Francisco Giants. So we'll see what happens in that. As we record this now, we obviously don't know what is going to happen in that game. But we are happy to be here for this episode, audio engineered by Stephen Coyle, who is here on site with us. Big thanks to him. And also... Uh, big thanks to Mike Rogerson, who will put this together after the fact. But as we stand here now, Shy, the Blue Jays are 43-37, and 37, about to play their 81st game of the season. They were a half game out of playoff position, just behind the Angels and the Yankees for that final wildcard spot. So halfway through the year, what do you make of this team right now? Well, we were just in the office with John Schneider, and one of the phrases he used, I think, is the perfect encapsulation for this team. Consistently inconsistent. And there are times where this team has looked exactly like you thought it was going to play on paper and was really the coming together of the vision that has been spoken about all offseason long. And then there are different points where this team just makes you scratch your head and say, what the hell's going on? And for that reason, I've really found this group tough to put a finger on it. It, it, we, it feels like we've had this conversation in 2021 and 2022 multiple times. But here we are in 23 and a lot of the maybe root causes we felt for some of those inconsistencies in previous years were supposed to be uh, addressed through improvements on defense and uh, some of the focus on details, the, the, the extra element of base running and things of that nature. Uh, and so far, it hasn't come to pass. Yeah, that, that much is, is pretty clear. And there has been a lot of inconsistency. They're playing better of late. And Ross Atkins, who we just heard from, did point out that over the course of the last, I think it's 28 games, if you find the right sample, the Blue Jays actually have the best record in the American League, not National League, but American League. So that's something. I mean, it's so it's, it's, <laughs> it's great to use arbitrary endpoints, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but hey, it's better than nothing. They are playing okay you know they are a good team they are not playing like a great team they have some great players or players who should be great players they also have some real holes on this roster so you know the next month is really going to be interesting in determining what happens with this team because of course you know if we zoom out even further this year is really important for this group right they only have three years with Vlad and Bo um, it's John Schneider's first year as manager for a lot of reasons this is a really important year and then so this month up ahead of the trade deadline is going to be really telling for this group I think that's really well put Ben and if you Again, zooming out the way that you have, there are a few pieces that are really going to tip the scales in the coming weeks. You've got the trade deadline, which is, I mean, maybe you've had some different conversations, but it feels teams are sort of involved in, but their head is mostly in the draft right now, or maybe a bit more in the draft. So it's certainly something that they have an eye on, but maybe haven't fully locked in on yet. And then... The Blue Jays have the Alec Manoa project, and that obviously has huge implications one way or the other, both for the trade deadline and for the team's performance this season. And then this has generally been the period over the past couple of years where this team has started piecing things together. 
uh, and making a legitimate second half run. And so there's all these factors conflating right now and how they play out will go a long way in determining what gets done before the 31st and what the ground looks like after that. For sure. And I, and I should say just at the outset of the podcast here, we will touch on Alec Manoa and get Shai's theories on what uh, the Blue Jays should do. I'm sure you'll solve it all, right? Oh, I, clearly. Okay, good. So you can look forward to that. And then um, we'll also get to some names that the Blue Jays could potentially pursue. I, I mentioned some of them earlier. I'll bounce some of those off of you. Um, I'm sure you have uh, a couple of your own. As for the trade deadline, I get the sense, at least from the conversations that I've had, that it's not so much the draft, but I think it's just there's so many teams that think they have a shot at this thing. And so, you know, like you take a team like the Mets, where I texted someone this week and I was like, hey, what do you think the Mets are going to do? And then the person replied and said, well, like, it is still June. Like, they could go 17-3, and three, they could go 3-17. and 17. And it's kind of like, yeah, like, as much as we want to have certainty, as much as some of these teams would want to have certainty, you just, you can't know just yet. For sure. And look, needs can change too. And that's one of the reasons, I mean, the big reason why everything happens so late usually is because everybody's waiting for the prices to get to a sane point. Uh, and selling teams have to, at that point, cut bait. And so that's why you would typically see things late. But teams also want to play things out. And Look, they generally have a pretty good sense of what the needs are going to be. Uh, if you look, if you're looking at the Blue Jays, it's fairly clear what their needs are. They need either a starting pitcher or someone who can pitch in a bulk bulk slash swing role uh, in between the rotation and the bullpen to help protect the staff moving forward. You'd like to add a, a depth bat, but someone who can make an impact, maybe from the right hand side. I wouldn't mind if it was a left-handed bat with some power either. And then you'd probably want to add another bullpen piece. Now, maybe Chad Green is part of the answer there. Maybe Hyunjin Ryu is part of the answer there as well. And those would be two massive deadline-type ads. And at this point, you'd almost look at Alec Manoa as a bit of a deadline ad too if he's able to return. But by the same token, a lot of teams are going to be looking for the same thing the Blue Jays are. And the Blue Jays aren't as well positioned as they were in years past because their farm system isn't as deep as it was in years past. Yeah, exactly. And and the other thing is, like, and not to not to like veer too negative here, but I think we all know that okay, there's three months left in the season. This team has actually stayed pretty healthy so far. Like injuries are going to occur. And and the the tightrope that they've been walking in the course of the last month is yeah, it's kind of worked with this four starter setup. But, like, what happens if one other starter gets injured? Because, like, at that point, like, I don't even know. Like, it would be bad. Yeah, that's uh, that's when you start making things up on the fly. <laughs> yeah. And they sort of have already covering for Alec Manoa. And Trevor Richards is going to make his third uh, essential spot start as an opener. Uh, there's one more before the All-Star break. And Manoa's timeline may not align with the next time that comes up out of the All-Star break. That, of course, uh, is is a huge question mark right now, and there's definitely no certainty there. But this has been a, a challenge for the Blue Jays, and certainly not one that you would have expected. And just to go back to the health thing, yeah, I mean, that is a huge concern. Why, obviously, pitching is going to be important, but every competitive team in baseball wants pitching. That market, they're, at this point at least, there don't appear to be a lot of sellers, you know, there is that theory out there that we may see more 
major league for major league trades between contenders where one team uses surplus to address other areas of need, that's going to be complicated too. So you're right. It, it is a tightrope, but I think it's also a tightrope that a lot of other teams are walking too, Ben. I think that's fair. And the Jays are not alone in that. This came up in John Schneider's pregame scrum just a few minutes ago that you and I were both in. And I was, I guess, like a little surprised, but also not surprised by his response when he was asked about the division. And the Blue Jays right now are either 10 or 10 and a half games back. I don't have it in front of me uh, behind the Tampa Bay Rays. When you look at the next 82 games of this season, like, is there any chance there for the Jays to catch Tampa? Or, or do you think it's pretty much wild card at this point? Sure, there's absolutely a chance. Like, if you think back to last year, the cold spell that the Yankees had in the second half, which coincided with the Blue Jays surge, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel like the Blue Jays got within three or four games of the Yankees last year. They made it close. It would take a huge effort for sure it'd take a significant step back by the rays who probably can't hit this way and pitch this way the whole season given uh, the the demands placed on their relief core it's not necessarily likely but it's certainly on the table it's stranger things have happened yeah and and this is i might be going way off a ledge here so definitely tell me if i am but when john schneider was talking about it and he was talking about the raise hitters he's like yeah they've had some really good performances from their hitters in my mind i'm thinking there's no way he believes that yandy diaz and luke Rayleigh <laughs> and jose siri are going to go out and have the same second half <laughs> that they had in the first half yeah i thought that was essentially <laughs> what he was saying without saying it right it's like tell me tell me you think the offense is going to take a step back without actually saying that yeah. but look i also think again the the way that they're they handle their pitching too it's a lot of innings on their bullpen there's always some attrition that happens there look you're foolish to doubt the rays yep. right because they they seem to like have this never-ending garden of misfit toys that they can just plug in and all of a sudden they become great at the same time nobody is an uber team and they're everybody's going to have some challenges going to hit some bumps in the road and uh, you know the blue jays are going to have to be exceptionally good to get there and make it interesting and certainly you know maybe the orioles make a, a couple big moves at the deadline with their deep farm system they're probably positioned as well if not better than anybody else uh in baseball to make big ads at the deadline uh, so maybe that catapults them forward. It's not it's not a non-race, but it is a, a very significant heavy lift. Yeah, it'll be really tough. It'll be really tough for the Jays to really put themselves back in there. I, I think, you know, you mentioned Baltimore. And just real quick before we step aside for a moment, I, I am curious to see what they do at the deadline because in theory, they should push and they should go out there and honestly like get a Marcus Stroman or really make things interesting for themselves to win. Dylan Cease. You know, yeah, like to go out there and, and win playoff series, right? But I don't see it happening. I see them kind of sticking with what they have and I see, like I threw this out earlier, like I, I kind of see the Angels getting Stroman. I don't know where you see Stro going, but I kind of see like, I could see the Angels just throwing everything they have to get him. I, I, I could definitely see that. I see the Orioles maybe being a little bit more reluctant to do their spending on rentals but if you can do so, do get get a guy with a year plus that level of control where it's not just for one year that to me is where I can see the Orioles trying to make an impact and look we expected at least I expected them to be a bit more aggressive in the offseason 
and to make a, a few more significant ads as opposed, I mean, they made a few nice moves, but maybe not to the level of the star caliber player that we might have thought because of the capacity they have in their spending structure. I mean, they basically have like no money in the books in the years ahead. They are, they're almost a blank slate. They can do whatever they want. So that to me means that they position themselves really well, but they're also a team that's so analytically driven i can't see them necessarily blowing their prospect capital on rentals at this point yeah whereas the angels they're essentially playing for the future of shohei otani exactly and perry manassian obviously the gm in in anaheim's got a history with marcus stroman from their time together in toronto uh he's been an aggressive general manager throughout uh, his time as an aggressive executive when he was here too trying to push the envelope uh, i like that pairing there and i can see it I-, I can see that move but there's also that need there because if you can't do that for shohei otani right now and he walks yeah then that whole situation collapses it's like a franchise altering deadline for the angels Absolutely. and that will have trickle down everywhere right because the angels going into the season people thought they might sell mm-hmm. well they're actually playing pretty well so they're definitely buying they're definitely going to push so you know the jays right in that mix it is very achievable for the jays to make the playoffs very achievable um for them to you know have home field conceivably in the playoffs uh, you know it's maybe achievable for them to um win the division but that remains to be seen for now we'll step aside and when we return shy will fix alec manoa listen to at the letters ad free on amazon music included with prime Welcome back to At The Letters here with Shai Davidi, still trying to make sense of the Blue Jays and particularly their pitching staff and particularly their opening day starter. And uh, those of us who search for answers on these fronts were not really helped out by the pitching line that we saw Tuesday uh, from the Florida Complex League, which I'm sure anyone listening is is familiar with now. He allowed, was it 10 or 11 runs? 11 runs, 10 hits, two homers, two and two thirds innings, I believe two walks, three strikeouts. Yeah, that's that's not what you want to see. No, it is, it pretty, is gruesome. Pretty, pretty gruesome. And obviously, it's not good. Obviously, it's not what you want to see. You want to see three innings. You want to see seven strikeouts, one hit. You know, that's that's what you want to see. So at the same time, I hesitate to go too dismal with this because these guys, like as defenders, they're not major league defenders. You're not playing on a major league field. You don't have the goal of going out there and getting outs. The goal is outs are secondary. Outs are a byproduct of him trying to find his mechanics in real time. To me, it's sort of akin to a spring game. Like you never want to see someone give up 11 runs in spring, but if it happens, the world keeps spinning. Where do you land? Well, I want to preface this since you kind of suggested that I have all the answers that I I do not have all the answers that was said in jest just making sure that where do I land on this it's complicated I think there are progressions right I think that's where you start and this is Alec Manoa first time testing it out and the stuff you said about the environment is important it's uh, a bajillion degrees and with even a higher level percentage of humidity which can be tough to pitch in it's essentially the Gulf Coast League, which was euphemously known as the Gulf Roast League. <laughs> was it actually? It was. That's actually. awesome. Mo- mo- a lot of guys who've played in it will call it the Gulf Roast League. And it's a, it's a miserable experience. And if you're Alec Manoa and you're trying to get going, 
in this. You're not exactly getting the full adrenaline. At the same time, he's been implementing some things that should be playing and producing better results regardless because it can be super humid in a summer's afternoon in Texas or in Kansas City or St. Louis or Baltimore and those are the same conditions you're going to have to fight through there so if it's not playing at that level how's it going to play in the big leagues and that to me is where it becomes tough in evaluating this because we have no video of it we're we're going by by numbers and that's by design the Jays don't want us to have video or else they could share it of course and I was told that there are a handful of plays that should, should have been outs behind him that changed the complexion of that outing, that instead of an inning going on, he's out of it and it's more efficient. But at this point, it's a leap of faith that everybody's taking that this is process over results and that the Blue Jays are seeing improvements in the fastball velo, in his ability to throw strikes. Most importantly, consistency in that delivery, which looks more like the way it did the past couple of years, uh, as opposed to the way it looked over the first couple of months here. And if those pieces are starting to fall in place, okay, well, that's progress. And then who cares about the pitching line? But ultimately, though, that process has to produce results. And so the results may not be the essential thing right now, but if the gap between process and results is akin to that pitching line at the beginning or well, where is it going to get to in a timely manner because the Blue Jays don't want to keep running out these bullpen days definitely not and I think like for us from afar you know it's it's pretty eye-opening I really wonder too and we haven't heard from Alec Manoa yet on this but I really wonder for him like yeah he knows it's not about the results but he also knows he allowed 11 runs like that can't be good at a time that you know (laughs) he's supposed to be building back his confidence like it's really you know it's it's far far from how you would draw it up right like he's trying to get to a point where like he can step onto a major league mound and believe that his work behind the scenes can allow him to get out the best hitters in the world. I can't imagine that the mental side of this is getting better with that performance. Yeah, but look, I also think that Alec Manoa is smart enough to understand that the results are, are irrelevant, right? And if he gives up a fly ball that Kevin Kiermaier or Dalton Varshow are chasing down that touches green in the Florida Complex League, he's going to understand that that's an out there. Or if it's a ball that sneaks by at third base that Matt Chapman's gobbling up, whatever the case may be, a ball smoked up the line at first base that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is picking, stepping on the bag, he's smart enough to understand in the major leagues that's an out. Same time, hitters are going to make better contact in the big leagues too. And so that's where the push and pull and that's part of the leap of faith that I was mentioning before is that you have to have enough confidence in that the work is going to lead to the results that you're seeking and you know the test of that we don't know that eventually Alec Manoa is going to pitch in another game Uh, he's going to the Blue Jays going to decide next steps after his side session on Friday and from that point forward we expect it to be another game in Florida either again in the complex league or maybe in the in low wave for Florida State League and you know a couple more of those eventually it's going to go to Buffalo is the expectation and from that point we'll get a better sense of where he's at so uh, spring training analogy is a good one uh, but 
this is a little bit different because it's not just spring training, get your body ready. This is spring training, figure some things out to deliver the type of performance that you're seeking. Yeah. And, and, you know, just on the defenders, like major league defenders, we get spoiled because we watch them every single day, right? Major league defenders are so good. They are so, so good. They're so much better than what you get at double A and the double A defenders are so much better than what you get in the Florida complex league. There are meaningful differences there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's also in the big leagues, you get, you get help by scouting reports and positioning and things of that nature uh, because big league hitters are also super good and it's super hard to get them out but as we're kind of talking this out and rationalizing all this yeah it's also important to keep in mind that there is a significant amount of work to do because Alec Manoa has been so good over his first two years in the big leagues and he was not say for a couple starts this year all the pieces that he has to put together those are significant and I think that's why the Blue Jays haven't put a timeline on this. My sense is that there was some hope that he might be ready to have made that candidate start, which they've since juggled, uh, that was open. That was the ideal scenario. The ideal scenario isn't happening. And so now we're on a bit of a different track, and we'll see where that ends up. Right. And, and none of this is to say that, like, oh, this was actually like a sneaky good thing or like, you know, it was not good. And if you put Kevin Gosman in a Florida complex league start next week, I'm pretty sure he goes out and strikes out eight, you know, in three innings and, and like goes in and absolutely shoves because he's an ace major league pitcher. And that's what you would expect. Good defense or bad defense or whatever the case, hot weather. I, I think Kevin Gosman would go out and really dominate. So there's a lot of work for Alec Manoa to do. And I think part of the challenge for the Blue Jays here is like, they really don't know how long this is going to take. Right. And here's where the big league need is a factor, right? Because the Blue Jays don't have alternatives in their farm system, as evidenced by the fact that we're on bullpen day number three. And that puts some pressure. And look, Alec Manoa knows, Alec Manoa cares intensely uh, about this team and about wanting to contribute. And that's a significant factor for him right now that he knows this is for sure eating away at him, knowing what's happening on the big league roster. Yeah. You know, he was in this spot last year when the Blue Jays in September, when they didn't have a fifth starter and Yusei Kikuchi wasn't pitching well enough to, to grab one of those spots. And the Blue Jays had to run three bullpen days in 15 days in the midst of uh, the most intense games of the season leading up to the postseason, he was part of the rotation. So he knows the burden on the other starters because he felt it last year. That for sure will bother him. And so everyone has to kind of pull back the urgent need to solve what's going on at the big league level and understand that there's a bigger picture. And John Schneider has said to us that, Alec understands the bigger picture and is has bought into it, but that's really tough for him amongst the many things that he's dealing with from an emotional standpoint. That's got to be one of them and might be one of the toughest parts for him. And it's a lot, you know, all of it combined, like it's a lot to sort of navigate. And so, you know, we're talking about almost like an off season's worth of work in the course of an actual baseball season. 
And the messaging around it is interesting too, because you know the Jays are talking about this positively, and also about Hyunjin Ryu and and the possibility of him returning. Sounds like that's on track. They don't want to put a timeline on that, but clearly the timeline is you know now until the end of the <laughs> season, right? It's 12 to 15 months, so now it's 12. 15 is the end of the season. So at some point, and you know, we don't know when, uh, Chad Green and or Hyunjin Ryu could be back in this. And of course, for the Jays, they have to message that, hey, we're really optimistic because they don't want to totally cut off their own legs when it comes to leverage and trade talks and say, yeah, Manoa's remaking his delivery. Ryu's kind of an unknown. Like, you know, I, I think that there is real optimism uh, with Ryu and with, with Green, but all these variables are kind of converging at once here. Oh, for sure. And look, in the Jays' best case scenario, and I actually think I wrote this uh, at the beginning of the year, I said their two biggest trade deadline additions may very well be Hyunjin Ryu and Chad Green, and that is the best case scenario for them. That Chad Green comes back and is uh, a reasonable facsimile of his former self, and he's in the back of the Blue Jays' bullpen, and he's getting huge outs for them, supporting Swanson and Meza and maybe Jimmy Garcia if he gets back to form in, in a key setup role. And with Ryu, look, Ryu is the sixth starter that they really need. Yeah. Right? And the dream scenario is that the Blue Jays would would have been able to bring him up to cover for Manoa as Manoa was figuring this out. It didn't work out that way. But the timeline for Ryu, to me, is really, really interesting. Because on a couple of occasions, he's made it pretty clear that he wants to be back after he expects to be back after the all-star break and wow that's pretty close like the when we were in tampa last month and chatting with him then and he just flat out said you know that was my goal and i'm it still remains my goal for getting back and that's maybe a bit more of an aggressive timeline than maybe the blue jays might want and look physically he's not built up there yet and will he continue to recover the way that he's recovered now as the workload increases are they going to have to have a take a step back at some point which is not unusual for pitchers as they're building back up from Tommy John all those factors are in play but if he's ready on that timeline that really changes things for the Blue Jays because if he comes back and you get a sense all right this might be a reasonable contribution from him from say you know mid to late July towards the end of the season that absolutely changes where you are going to the trade deadline it does for sure I think at the same time you know, expectations around Ryu, who is 35 right now. Again, don't have it in front of me. He's in his mid-30s. Um, you know, a soft-tossing, finesse pitcher coming off Tommy John. I think expectations have to be pretty modest. Like, I, I think, you know, if he is a number five starter, that is, like, I'm not going to say a home run, but that is, like, very good. That is a very good outcome. That's all they need. And yeah. look, I think that there's also a scenario that the Blue Jays end up with a period of time running a bit of a some sort of modified six man. Yeah. And you know something that I've written about a few times. Like there's a price to be paid for running a month of four man rotation. Oh yeah. And and skipping all these off days and uh, the rotation juggle that we saw this week with uh, moving the off day forward to give an extra day for. Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi, you know, part of that is tied to the fact that they've been running this format and they needed that extra day. So a six-man is possible down the road. If Ryu can just be competent 
give them five, you know, a five and dive guy, the Blue Jays would be doing cartwheels because that's a contribution they need. And I just looked it up. He's 36. 36 years old. There it is. Thanks for doing that research on the fly. Yeah. Of the three, I would say Chad Green comes back first. Um, and it is really hard for me to pinpoint who I think is next, you know, between Ryu or Manoa. But I see Green as being the next guy out of those three to pitch for the Jays in a major league game. Yeah, and I think if that's the case, it's not necessarily a great outcome. Because, like, the guy that the Blue Jays need to be next is Alec Manoa. For sure. And of the two, and this is not uh, going out on a limb at all, but, yeah, you'd expect Chad Green to be back before Hyunjin Ryu as well. Either way, if the Jays can get a real sense of what those contributions could look like between now and, say, the third week of June... Uh, and they don't have to be back in the majors at that point, but you just have to be able to measure, okay, this is how this is probably going to translate. That can really change the way that they're shopping going into the final week of the deadline and significantly increase their leverage or allow them to adapt and attack other areas of opportunity on the roster. For sure. So that is the internal reinforcements. When we come back, we'll shift our focus to the external and see who could join the Blue Jays via trade in the course of the next month or so. All right, we're back for one more segment here. And I guess before we get into some specific names, because I do want to bounce some names off you here, Shai, but... um, so generally, you alluded to this earlier in the podcast, and it's something that Arden and I have talked about. I'm sure you've talked about it on many platforms as well. But just big picture here, we're looking at a Jays team that could use bats and arms. And I don't know how you prioritize those things, but I think there's a clear need for both. Absolutely. To me, though, the thing that's most interesting about this trade headline from, the Blue, from a Blue Jays perspective is... How are they going to pull this off? Because the Blue Jays have used a lot of farm system depth over the past couple of years in making different deals. At this point, they don't have all these surplus prospects that you can say, all right, we're comfortable sacrificing from our farm system with these guys who have enough market value to actually get something in return. Like a Jordan Groshans, that type? Right, where... You know, the, someone that still has some industry value, but at a certain point, look, the Blue Jays are facing significant free agent possibilities in the next few off seasons. You need a little bit of a base. The Blue Jays have traded uh, several first round picks uh, in the last couple of years. Can they afford to trade a Ricky Tiedemann right now and a Ravis Martinez? And if they're not trading from those guys, well, how much is, say, a Semro Bursa or... Uh, Addison Barger or that second tier of prospect, how much value do they have in the trade market in order to get you back uh, something significant to help you out in return? And then the other piece to that is the Blue Jays have made some moves for rental players the past few years, but if they go the rental route again, with the fact that you're going to be facing some free agent losses in the years to come and already depth at the AAA level has become a bit of an issue for you this year, can you continue to make these types of trades without having a significant prospect infusion come back? So 
how the Blue Jays approach this one is interesting. I think they could be a team that might look to do something off of the major league roster. But again, there's some limits into kind of who you're trading there and the value you're going to get back. So this one's going to be really difficult for the Blue Jays to go out and find some impact, I think. It is, because for argument's sake, I mean, if you're looking at, let's say it's Santiago Espinal, and that is not, I'm not reporting a rumor there, I'm just saying, you know, for argument's sake, yes, they could part with him. Well, you're not going to get a lot back. You know, the value has really fallen there, and probably even last year, even as he was an all-star, teams, you know, would look at the advanced numbers and look at the exit velos and say, there's a nice major league player, probably not a cornerstone piece. So, you know, would expect that that is even more so now, um, which means that you're not going to be in a position where you can flip him or even a Kevin Biggio who's played really well. You probably actually want to keep Kevin Biggio around. But, you know, those guys aren't going to bring back a huge amount off of the major league roster. So, yeah, I, I think it creates a, a tricky dynamic. And I actually kind of look at rentals as almost being more appealing from the standpoint of, there are a lot of them. They're available. The cost is probably almost certainly lower than what it would cost to go out there and get a core piece, like uh, obviously adding a Dalton Varsho, where amazing. He's a great player. He's around for a number of years, but the price is pretty steep on those guys, too. Yeah, well, it would have to be a, a player coming up with a Dalton Varsho level of control and a Dalton Varsho level of ceiling in order for the Blue Jays to part with one of their significant prospects, excuse me. And you know, I agree with you in theory on the prospects, but here's the thing. Are the, the types of prospects the Blue Jays are going to be willing to surrender for those rental players? Will teams find preferable alternatives on other clubs? So that's why I think this one could be tricky, especially in a market where at least right now, and obviously a lot can change over the next month, but at least right now, there don't look to be a ton of sellers. So the buyers with the best prospects are going to have a much easier time doing that shopping. That's why I think the Baltimore Orioles stick out to me as a team that is an obvious driver's seat. Because if you're a selling club, the Orioles have the prospects you want. Yeah. I mean, this is a need for the front office to develop, even if you're drafting 21st or 22nd, wherever they are, wherever they've been in recent years, you still need to find talent late in the draft. And you still need to develop that talent and be in a place where the Dodgers are, where they are continuously promoting impact prospects. It's not easy to do, but if you want to be the best at that, um, there's a lot of room for the Blue Jays to improve um, in that department because I think you're right. You run the risk that you go to a team and you say, okay, let's say it's Andrew McCutcheon, right? Take a, a rental bat, for example. You go to the Pirates and you say, yeah, how about Sam Roberts? And they just might like someone else better. And that's all hypothetical, but they just might prefer the option that you know, another team is able to put in front of them, at which point you're kind of left looking around and seeing what's left. Let's just use that as example. And again, we're not reporting that. This is just names that we're throwing out there for example's sake. Is what McCutcheon gives you over two months going to be worth the potential of having Sam Roberts the next year at AAA and then being at least an up and down arm for the next few years or maybe more than that? Is that enough value back? Are there enough at-bats for McCutcheon to make enough of an impact for that to be worthwhile? And that's why, to me, the Blue Jays are in that, that weird spot. Because they don't, as much as they could use an impact bat, you almost have to subtract someone to create the playing time for an incoming bat. You know, like, you're not going to acquire a McCutcheon-type McCutcheon to, say, have, like, you know, 10 at-bats a week. 
Agreed. I'm, I'm just assuming someone gets hurt. Right. You know, which I think when you look at the age of this roster with Kiermaier, who's out today with back spasms, and Merrifield and Belt, and I, I'm just assuming that at some point in the next two months, there's a significant injury. And maybe that's like totally pessimistic, but I just think, I think someone's going down and you don't want Ernie Clement to be that guy. And, and they could go to David Schneider and they like David Schneider. And I think we'll see David Schneider in the major leagues this year. Um, for anyone who isn't familiar, he's a 28th round pick, uh, 24 years old, doing some good things in the minor leagues, hitting well at AAA, um, no relation to John. And, and I think we'll see him, but I think you want more. Yeah, you want a little bit more certainty and you want a little bit more experience, for sure. And, you know, David Schneider's made such great progress. Do you want him up here to take those 10 at-bats a week? Can you not find someone a bit more with a bit more track record to do that right now? And then maybe David Schneider, you're looking at him in a different way next spring, for sure. And that's all great. Again, I just keep thinking back to some of the, I guess, criticism or initial debate over the work that Alex Anthopoulos did in 15 and what it meant for the Blue Jays farm system in 16, 17, 18, and that lack of depth that those teams had to fight through. And, you know, the, the anomaly season that you're, you're talking about health, you know, maybe this is an anomaly year like 2016 when yep. the Blue Jays were incredibly healthy. Yep. Uh, and I think they only used six starters, yeah. uh, six or seven starters that whole season. And that deadline could be a comp because they got Liriana was a bounce back and Grilly and Benoit, it was scrap heap guy like that could I think they're scrap heaping at big time this deadline right and, and there were opportunities for more that deadline uh, there was a, a potential deal if memory serves and uh, just going back a while but there was a potential deal for uh, Rich Hill and Josh Reddick that nice. that offseason that would have involved Rowdy Telez and uh, a couple others and that that didn't end up happening uh, and I think there was another deal potential that involved Anthony Alford and the Blue Jays ended up keeping him at that point but those are some of the balances that you got to be careful because all of a sudden if you leave your farm system barren you've got no capital for this offseason and for subsequent trade deadlines and are you going to acquire the caliber of impact high enough to make it worthwhile and that is you know in 15 the answer was absolutely yes that was 100% worthwhile and the, the 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 caliber of players they got back but you know it did change the change things for the blue jays in subsequent off seasons and it shortened that club's window and even at that point too the value of a playoff spot was different because if you got into the playoffs, you were in the division series. So that's a higher value thing to chase after as opposed to now you get into the playoffs, you're in a wild card series. There's value in that, but it's not as valuable. But it's a three-game series now as opposed to a one-game, which is like, so there is some value. And look, the Blue Jays could very well be the Philadelphia Phillies where you're looking at this team, you're like, why hasn't this team been better all season long? And it clicks at the right time and off they go because there's enough talent and you're condensing your playing time in, in a really good core. And that could play out in that way for this group. That's on the spectrum of possibilities. So I'm kind of fascinated by this one because I don't know that there's an obvious path right now, even in terms of ads that they can make that you say, this is so good that you do this, at least based on what we know right now, the way things are seen. And like things could certainly change. That there's not something out there that uh, you know. I think right now that you're like, all right, this is absolutely worth sacrificing some future for. Yeah, and I, you know, it's going to be 
super interesting to see how they decide to play it. One question that I kind of wish I'd asked Ross Atkins when he was speaking to us a little while ago is just the financial aspect. How much flexibility do they have to go out there and take on money? Because they've been able to do that a lot. This is a team record payroll. My presumption is, yeah, they can take on more money, but I, you know, it, it would help to hear that from the GM. Yeah, and the, the other thing, too, is that they're going to be pushing up against the second luxury tax threshold, too. So if they take on any reasonable amount of money, it's not just they're not just going to be paying tax at the first threshold. They're going to be paying tax at the second threshold. That's where these Toronto Blue Jays are. And yet, out of the playoff mix. Who would have guessed that? Um, all right, before I let you go here, Shy, because I know you got lots of obligations, I want to throw some names at you. Um, hitters. Okay, I'm looking at hitters right here. We know they need pitching. They have four starting pitchers. They obviously need pitching. That can be another episode. But for today, I'm going to throw these names at you. Tommy Fan and Mark Canna of the Mets. Obviously, that would depend on if the Mets sell. Andrew McCutcheon of the Pirates. Jerickson Profar of the Rockies. He's definitely going to be available. Ramon Laureano of the A's. Now hurt. Definitely available. I'm sure you could acquire him today. Um, and Adam Duvall of the Red Sox, who may or may not be available. I mean, that's one where you have to play it out. So of those names, are there any guys that you either really dislike or like as a possible Jays acquisition? Uh, well, I, I sense a theme in terms of right-handed hitters there for yes. you. Yes. Profar switch hitter, otherwise all righties. I could be 100% wrong on this, but I wonder, is McCutcheon really going to get traded after going back to Pittsburgh and all that? I wonder the same. You know, To me, that seems like, I don't know if it's going to be his last year, but that's a, that's a return that was meant to be a little bit more significant than, hey, come rebuild some value and let's see if we can flip you into something down the road. Profar is certainly interesting. I think this team could definitely use a switch hitter. Uh, that would be uh, an asset that, and I think the Blue Jays have wanted one for a while. They just haven't been able to get one and put him into a meaningful spot. I think each one of those guys could be a fit. I, I do wonder whether there are, there's enough role for those guys to make the acquisition cost worthwhile. A uh, couple guys that I've looked at, I've kind of looked at it a little bit differently. I really want a left-handed power bat if I'm the Blue Jays to just balance that lineup and just because obviously the major leagues are so right-handed dominant just to be able to have someone i think seth brown on the oakland athletics would be a really interesting piece uh, could play all three outfield spots in first base too uh and give you against the tougher righties give you another left-handed option to roll out there forever i've thought jock peterson needs to be on this team yep and i think he makes a lot of sense uh, especially if he gets on the type of roles that he could get on. Uh, and I actually think the Giants, not just for Jock Peterson, make an interesting trade partner if they fall off. I mean, clearly the way that they've played, they're in it right now. But a few weeks ago, they were looking like a team that might be selling at the deadline, which is part of why this is so complicated because there are a lot of teams who are in that gray zone like the Giants are. But someone like a, a Sean Manaya, even an old friend like Ross Stripling, would be so perfect for this Blue Jays rotation. Someone who can come in and throw some bulk, start if needed, uh, but comfortable enough to perform out of the bullpen. That's the type of pitching piece I think would make a, a whole lot of sense with them. But again, they're brown aside, those are rental guys, or maybe not on strip if he ends up following through on that option. But that's a weird market. And at least the initial sense I've gotten is that the rental market is something the Blue Jays are debating right now, but how, how much they want to be in. Yeah, I mean, I like those names. I like the Manaya, um, Stripling. 
um, Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson would be great. And and the thing is, too, left, right, we spent years talking about this with the Jays. Ultimately, like last year, they were quote-unquote too right-handed. Well, they had a lot of good hitters, and they had a good offense. Like, it was fine. This year, if they acquired a Jock Peterson, maybe they're quote-unquote too left-handed. All right, like, they can all go yard like it's fine so we'll see but the one of the challenges too is like this is the inconvenient thing about trying to shop for help with the trade deadline so many of the good players are on good teams so it's like how do you find those like good players on bad teams it's like really threading that needle um so it sets up an interesting month for the jays yeah for sure and i do think that with kevin kiermaier now missing consecutive games with back spasms and something that he's fought before you want Kevin Kiermaier out there as much as possible, but if you have to have to play Kevin Kiermaier a bit less, and you've got Dalton Varsho in center, and you know, do you want another left-handed bat that you can pair in there with Whit Merrifield if he's playing more in left field, and if Kevin Biggio is ending up at second, but then you know, another left-handed hitting outfielder gives you an option to play Merrifield at second if you don't like the matchup for Kevin Biggio. It allows you to be a little bit more creative too if Kevin Kiermaier needs to be managed a little bit more yeah I mean maybe like a switch hitter with even splits who can play anywhere offensive production off the charts I mean this sounds like a really good player Jose Ramirez <laughs> yeah I mean you know that would be great I thought you were you were trying to make kind of a bit of an allusion to to direct pro far there too <laughs> yeah I'm thinking pro far plus but uh, it might end up being pro far minus uh we'll see what it what it all leads to shy thanks for your time today on ATL pleasure as always Awesome. Well, that is it for us this week on At The Letters. Thanks to Shy for being here. Thanks to our on-site audio engineer, Stephen Coyle, and also to Mike Rogerson, who is putting this together. We will talk to you soon, and thank you for listening to At The Letters.